Well, hello, and welcome to the Pro Tips for Musicians podcast, practical advice for an impractical business. I'm your host, Jim Henry. This series of podcasts will feature conversations with professionals from all aspects of the music business. They'll offer advice, anecdotes, and hard-won wisdom that will certainly be enlightening for a beginner and hopefully entertaining for music industry veterans as well as just regular old music fans. On the show today, we have Tracy Grammer. Tracy is a singer, songwriter, producer, and multi-instrumentalist. She's toured the world as a solo artist, duo partner, and as an accompanist with Joan Baez. She released her first CD with the late Dave Carter in 1998 and has just released her 11th CD, a solo album called Low Tide. 2018 marks her 20th anniversary as an independent artist, which means she's well acquainted with most aspects of the music business. We're lucky to have her here today on the Pro Tips podcast, so let's say hello to Tracy Grammer. Well, hello, Tracy Grammer. (laughs) Hello, Jim Henry. How are you? I'm doing fine. How are you? I am well. It's so cool that you can stop by the the Ruby Tone studio today and have this conversation. <laughs> well, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I'm honored to be the first Pro Tips guest. I couldn't think of a better person to start off this, this hopefully series of podcasts. I'm sure it's going to be a wild success. I hope so. <laughs> so let's, uh, before we get into the Pro Tip that you'd like to discuss, let's, let's just remember how we met. We've known each other an awfully long time at this point. We have. We've known each other since... 2003, I guess. I think that's I think that's right. Yeah. We were starting our 15th anniversary here. That's right. Yeah, 15 I, years. I think the first time we met was at the Regional Folk Alliance Conference in the Poconos. We actually met in a hotel room. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those in-room music showcases. Showcases or something. It was you and Dave and Mark Arelli. And I think Brooks Williams was there. We were doing some sort of signature sounds showcase. And that's the first time we met. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember that at all. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't really remember it. I just know that that's when we first met. And then then I came up to you guys at Falcon Ridge uh, a year or two later, you and Dave, and uh, offered my services as a third in your duo if you ever needed an accompanist of any kind. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure we put the kibosh on that instantly. <laughs> yeah, I know, you weren't all that interested. But then when we really met, that's what I was hoping you would tell that story. Well, we met on the steps in front of the, the historic Iron mm-hmm. Horse Music Hall here in Northampton, Massachusetts, because we had a gig to play that night. We didn't really know each other. We hadn't rehearsed at all in person. I was living in Portland, Oregon at the time, and you were living out here in Western Mass. Actually, what happened was I asked people out here, who should I get? I've got this big tour coming up, and I thought I had this other side man booked, and he's not working out, so who should I get? And everybody said, get Jim Henry, get Jim Henry, get Jim Henry. And so I was like, oh no, that guy? (laughs) (laughs) Didn't we we already tell him no? We dissed him. (laughs) That loser. (laughs) Yeah, no, I didn't think that, but I was just, I felt bad. And so then I remember I I wrote to you and and you were like, yeah, send me the stuff. And so I sent him, I sent you all the CDs and songbooks and stuff with directions <laughs> about how I was going to try to do the songs. And you learned them. And then we got on stage that night at the Iron Horse. It was, what, September 10? 
of 2003. I think that's right. And we basically went down to the green room, played the beginnings and the ends of each song, just so that we'd start and end together, at the very least, Mm -hmm. and then hopped up on stage and did the set. And what I remember about the set is that I was very happy with it, and I asked you at the end how you felt, <laughs> and I was like, did you have fun? And, and do you remember what you said, right? I said no. <laughs> yeah. I said no. No, it was, you know, it was a very, that was a lot of material. It was uh, a lot of material. It was a lot of material to get in a short amount of time. It was really, it was less than a week, because by the time you actually sent stuff and I got it, yeah, it was like three or four days. And it was, uh, you know, the that, that material is, is complicated, some of it. Some and you wanted me com- to sing some of that stuff too. That's right. I wanted you to sing harmonies, take the lead, you know, the acoustic guitar part so that I could play violin. And then there was also just the whole weight of being the guy who's standing in for Dave. I mean, I'm sure I never really talked to you about how that might have felt, but he's such a good songwriter. I wanted to keep singing his songs, but I needed to do it with other people. And so, uh, so that's how Jim Henry and I met. Yeah. No, I didn't. That that whole the the weight of of trying to stand in those shoes didn't. Didn't dawn on me till later. And <laughs> That's I, good. You know, and in fact, I was never really trying to stand in those shoes. Nobody but, can, right? Yeah. You know? And uh, I didn't, didn't, yeah, I didn't want to. And and uh, but anyway, yeah, that's how we met. So that was a long time ago. <laughs> it was a long time ago, and it's kind of amazing that we did it that way. I just thought it was interesting to let people know how we how we came to know each other, and uh, and now here we are today. So thanks again. Thank you for coming in, and we're here to talk about pro tips from the upcoming. Pro Tips book. That's right. That's coming out. Hopefully, uh, <clears throat> I think it's going to be called Jim Henry's Pro Tips. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I, you know, I think it's got a certain ring to it. <laughs> I like that. But so the idea of this podcast is that the guest, that being you today, gets to pick the pro tip or a pro tip from the 50 that I put in the book, and we'll uh, talk about it. So wh- which one, uh, I believe you've Pick number 35 here today. I picked number 35, and the pro tip is every musical moment should be in service to the song. Always be telling the story. Well, that is complete. That is very well worded, if I must, <laughs> if I say so myself. You're off to a great start with that one. Yeah. So why, what, what made you pick that one? This actually has a lot to do with why I play with you as opposed to other accompanists. Um, because what happened before I met Jim Henry <laughs> is that I was living in Portland, Oregon at the time, and I was connected with a fine guitarist and mandolinist and singer uh, who was working in several bands at the time and who was willing to learn the material and 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 go out with me for this six-week tour on the East Coast that I had coming up. Kind of brought an edge to the music, a little more hipness. Prior to the six-week tour... We had a performance at the Strawberry Music Festival, which is a big festival down in California. And what I remember is getting on the main stage, you know, and I'm delivering the songs and I'm a little bit nervous. I've got this guy with me and he's going to he's going to hold down those color parts and help me tell the story. Or so I thought he sort of one upped me on the stage like he went out (laughs) to the edge of the stage and, you know, he kind of tilted back and he was wailing on the mandolin and it had nothing to do with the song. And so in this case, this is the opposite of what we're talking about. This is someone who was playing to play. He was a good showman, but he wasn't telling the story with me. We weren't on the same page about that. It wasn't a conversation I would have even thought to have had. So, you know, what you're looking for, especially in our genre, is someone whose every note is going to complement 
the plot and the emotion, but you really have to play to the song. And to do that, you have to listen to the song. Well, that's it. That's the key to to telling the stories. You have to listen to what the story is. Sometimes it's the lyrics and sometimes it's the music. You know, sometimes it's the energy, but you have to be sensitive to that. And you have to be sensitive to that at every point in the process, in writing the song, mm-hmm. um, in recording the song. It's it's not just the performer. It's also the mix engineer and the, and the recording engineer. They have to all be telling the story too. And yeah. every little bit of it helps tell the story. Right. So that's where I was coming from when I wrote this tip. I see a lot of up-and-coming performers f- focusing on precision, you know, focusing on their craft, getting their vocals just right, you know, to... And, uh, and working on their guitar chops and everything like that. But frankly, I'm more moved by an honest performance that tells the story, which I, I'm not saying don't work on your craft, don't get good at your stuff. You absolutely, be working on that every day. But when you're up in front of an audience, what really matters is how you convey the story. Your voice could crack, you could, you know, your hand could fall off the instrument, whatever. But if you get that story across, then you win, you know, like, and that's how we do this. You know? In some ways, the audience really only wants to hear the story. They don't care. A, a, a lot of time, they don't care about the technical side of it. If you well, tell a good story and you tell it honestly, they don't care about the other stuff. They like the other stuff. Sure, well, of course. You know, ideally, you'd have it all, right? right. But at the end of the day... Like who 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 do you think aside from yourself of course who do you think is really good at you know a songwriter and a singer at telling the story who's really good at that Oh my gosh And there's a lot of them but well who stands out Sean Colvin mm-hmm. I feel like she really inhabits the song and when she's singing it she really tells the story mm-hmm. Mary Chapin Carpenter's another one mm-hmm. you know even though she sings those same songs in that same order, night after night after night, mm-hmm. um, she still manages to she infuses them with this authenticity. You can feel, you can feel her watching the movie as the story is being as she tells the story. And um, well, those two in particular, they're singing about themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, they're singing very personal songs. So not that it's easy to inhabit those songs, but. When they're really telling the story, it feels it feels very genuine, and it feels because they're singing about themselves. Well, Slade Cleves is another one who's great at telling the story. If you want to talk about stories that aren't about yourself, right. you know, just crafting a great story, and then producing his records in such a way that every little thing supports what's going on. Well, what's that? In the narrative. that what's that song there? The uh, the. Breakfast in Hell. Oh my gosh! That is that is such a it great song. It is perfectly produced. There's a little, you know, somebody's going under, and there's a little tiny bloop of the electric guitar, <laughs> and it is so. Exactly. It's telling the story. Nothing gets in the way. You can hear every word that he's saying. Right. That's an example of the whole package, the recording of it, the mastering of it, the playing on it, the writing. Everything is absolutely perfect. You know who else is really great at it Um, is Richard Schindel. Richard Schindel does a great job at telling the story, um, at infusing his performance with the right emotion, um, and at producing his records with just enough 
you know, to get either the wit or the sarcasm mm-hmm. or the or the um, wistfulness mm-hmm. across. And Richard Thompson job. is also great at that. Like he sings about, you know, young people killing other people and dying, but you totally believe him. <laughs> you know, he, inha- he inhabits those songs too. Yeah. And, and actually, if I may, Jim Henry, this is something that you are particularly good at. And I've heard you say many times that what you like to do is put the sparkle on the star. You really put the sparkle on the story. Because it's never about us delivering the song. It's about the song coming through. Well, part of, part of what I like to do is help the, whoever I'm playing with. They need to feel comfortable. They need to feel... They don't, I don't want them to worry about what I'm going to do because that inhibits them telling the story. <laughs> no, it's true. Like my guy. Yeah, exactly. Well, people, I mean, I think artists, you know, they want to be supported by their, by their accompanist. And I think that's half the battle is, try, is actually trying to support what somebody's doing and not get in the way. So a lot of what being a support player means is not playing. Right. And <laughs> then there's a, that. You got to know when to big, sit out. That's a big part of it. And, you know, as, as a general rule, I don't play when there's somebody singing <laughs> and I do play when they're not. I mean, that's the general rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not everybody is down with that especially guitar players. They want to show you that they can play the guitar. (laughs) Well, you know, everybody's guilty of it. You've got vocalists who want to show you all their vocal tricks in a song and how contemporary they are because they can do that thing that everybody's doing right now. And and it doesn't really go with the song at all, but there they are doing it. And most people wouldn't even take issue with it. But as a storyteller especially, you notice. Yeah. You know, younger players, I find, generally... Side, younger side players generally play a little too much, mm-hmm. but they're figuring it out. You know, they'll learn. Though I heard we, we, you and I had a show last night, and uh, there uh, were lots of young players there, and I was, I was struck by how talented they were. It's starting to freak me out a little bit. I blame the internet. Like, if I had the internet, I would have been that good, too. <laughs> you probably were age? that good. You just don't remember. No, no. These guys, there's the whole crop coming up that's that's uh, that's just fantastic. They were really good. Yeah. Does, does my heart good. Really soulful. We mentioned this earlier, but another way to help tell the story is in how you produce a song. Like, how do you how you record a song? So you, you just finished recording your new record, Low Tide. That's right. And it's it's fairly produced. And there's a lot of on some of them there's a lot of stuff going on. There is. Little percussion bits, little you know, laughs and tinkles and jingles going on and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But all of it I mean, all of it is is to help tell the story. So when you walk into a studio, do you have a vision of how, how you want it to go? I do. I spend time in my home studio. Um, just sort of meditating on the song. And I start to record things that I think would sound good, some backing vocals, percussion, or I shake a can of lentils, or just I try to figure out, you know, what are some sounds that that could go into this to convey the energy of the song and the purpose of the song. So you you try and work stuff out in advance? Yeah, I do the pre-production at home. I, I think about 
Uh, well, also because it was my 11th record and I know what's possible in the studio. Mm-hmm. I know what kind of sounds, you know, we can get with other special effects that I don't happen to have. So I, I think about that. Oh, some of that psychedelic violin, swirly, you mm. know, smoke kind of stuff could be fun. Or Glockenspiel. Or some glockenspiel <laughs> could be fun. Or, you know, what could we do? Can he put some reverse effects on some drums? Or, you know what I mean? Right. There's, I but you, know, don't, you don't have all that in your mind. When you start recording, some of that reveals itself as it goes along. What I have is the story and my feeling while singing the song. And mostly what I'm trying to convey is how it feels. You know, how does this one feel? How does this movie feel? Can I get you in the room with me? Or the way I felt when I wrote the song. That's an interesting distinction. When you're in the studio and recording, you're telling the story and it has a certain feel that you're trying to convey. But you do the same thing when you're playing live, but you mm-hmm. don't have all that other stuff. No, no. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between those two two ways of telling the story? That's or what's going? You know what, what what's going on in your head? What are you listening? You know what are you listening for live versus when you're in the studio? Well, when you're in the studio, obviously you have more to work with. You're working with an engineer who has all the bells and whistles. So you're working with how is he helping? to tell the story. There's so many people involved. You know, when we get in the studio with the bandmates and we say, and I show them the song and I say, okay, this is how it goes. I'm also looking for how do they hear the story? I don't want to just dictate because there could be more to it. As a writer, there's only so much you know about the material that comes through you. And if it's conveying some other feeling to them, I want to be open to hearing that Mm -hmm. and then co-creating a sound and a story and a soundtrack for the thing that I've written. But at the show, we don't have all those elements, but we do have an audience who's looking at me to tell them a story. Mm -hmm. And so I take what I have and I use my instruments, my voice, my face, my posture, my dynamics, you know, how loud or soft or fast or slow I play. You're a companyist. And my accompanist <laughs> to get the point across. And also I can set up the song so I can get them into my headspace, you know, like this is why I wrote it and mm-hmm. how I was feeling and this is what came out. And, you know, in the studio, it really is a, a co-creation environment with the idea that you're not going to be able to set up the song. Right. So, yeah, they're very different animals. Telling, yeah. and, and that's why, for me anyway, the story is different every night, every live performance. It's a little bit different. It is different. It's always changing, you know, and it depends on so many factors, doesn't it? Like how we feel about how the audience is responding to us that night, uh, where it falls in the set list can really change oh, how yeah. the song feels and how you how you decide you want to play it. How it sounds on stage. How things sound yeah. on stage. If you're getting the right information and, and everything is sounding really great, then that's like... Well, first of all, that's rare, but <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. But it's, it's hard also to do. just delicious, and all of a sudden you have this freedom, you know. Whereas a lot of the time, at at this level, you know, we're kind of playing a little tug of war with the sound system and trying to figure out how can we tell our story. That's in, that's a, it's at know? every level struggling with sound. Oh, yeah, it's hard. I guess it's just that's hard. true. Sound is sound. It's hard to get things to sound. It's quirky. Good. The way you like them live, because every space is different, and every even you know even temperature affects <laughs> how things sound. Temperature, humidity, playing outside or inside. Yeah. But I, I wanted to get back to uh, the studio and and telling the story in the studio. F- for me, it, the bass and the drums particularly play a really big role in how how the story gets told because changing where the kick drum 
uh, hits, for instance, makes a can really make a big difference and change the energy of a song. Uh, and same with the bass. I mean, a lot of times the bass will play a halftime feel on a verse, but then do double time on the chorus. And even though what you're playing doesn't change at all, that's another way in the studio that to help tell the story. What you're saying is more of a collaborative effort there. Yeah, yeah. I think about a song like Hole, which is a pretty thumping little song. And if Paul Kahansky had played the bass differently on that with longer notes or something, like it just would have been completely different. We're actually going to get Paul in here as a guest. Oh, that's good. I'm I think sure he'll he, have he, a lot to say. We won't talk about you specifically. <laughs> we'll just hint at it. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, the studio is definitely a co-creation environment, and my performance can be swayed. Here's a classic example of something that happened in the studio with the song Daffodil Days. I had a certain feel that I wanted for it, and I was conveying that to the guys, but then on the little on the interludes, it's just a whole nother feeling, like a march just kind of took over. I was just sitting at home on my own recording it, but then hearing the way that that ended up flowing out with those guys, hearing the march of it has changed the song for me forever. And in this case, the song got a big boost from um, from the changes that we made in the studio on the day it was recorded. Tempo has had a lot to do with that, too. We tried it at different tempos, right. and certain sections of the song feel better at one tempo than another. And as I said earlier, every aspect of performance and recording helps tell the story. And it all comes into play. In the studio, the producer has a lot to do with that. You were your own producer Mm -hmm. on the basics. You know, we all helped, but you were basically in charge. You had the final say of how things went down. You know, that's an important role. And it's it's, it's an artist producer. It's a hard role to be in. Yeah, you really have to inhabit your songs if you're going to take on the producer role really have to be deep inside them. Um, well, and you also need the, the ability to step back and listen to the thing as a whole. That's right. you got to be flexible, but have some, some sense. That's right. So whatever hat you're wearing, whoever is involved needs to be aware of that. And as soon as ego is involved in any aspect of that, it tends to fall apart, or it's not as good as it could be. Right. And you can feel it, you know, when there's just some gratuitous playing along that doesn't really serve. You can really feel that. I know that when we were um, producing the album, when I finally went out to Portland to mix it with one of my favorite engineers in the world, Bob Stark, um, I know that Bob is particularly interested in, does it support the story? 
And that's why I work with him because I know that he's, his ears are going to be t- attuned to the same kinds of things that my ears are. If there's a tambourine just banging away and it doesn't seem to be in line with the emotion of a particular verse, then, then we take that thing out. And just because I played it doesn't mean it stays. You know, We play a lot of things on the tracks that end up getting pulled out because in the end, we're refining our little sculpture. We're trying to bring out the very best story that we can. And we use, beyond the songwriting, we use the, um, all the production elements and the effects that we throw on them to, to kind of finish the product. I remember there were a couple of things and I'd say, oh, Bob, what happened to that doodly-doo, you know, that was right there? And he's like, I didn't feel like it was supporting the story. He, right. he, he didn't add anything, is right. what he said. And I'm like, you know, you're right. It doesn't add anything. And there were also instances where there was a little gap. And I'm like, you know what, Bob, can you... Let's cut, put something in there. <laughs> can you cut and paste a little that little guitar thing from there right. and put it over there? Because that moment needs a little bite to it. So we moved the parts around trying to get the story just right. That isn't to say that what we end up with is, you know, the be all end all. Like the story could go a thousand ways. We could you could right. mix it so many different ways, you know, with a different attitude. Um, which is, you know, again, like that's what's so fun about this work is that there's no like <laughs> you don't really arrive. You just sort of finish working on something and move on. Right. But you could you could I could have done ten different mixes for whole. In or, fact, you you did. <laughs> you did probably or, more or than ten. Thirteen different mixes of <laughs> cloud busting and have it feel a little bit different every time. You know. Well, then it gets tricky because as artist and producer, it's it is hard to separate. Sometimes it's hard to to know when enough is enough. And not that not that you're wrong to to try and get it exactly right. I think it, it's easy for an artist to be afraid that they're not going to tell the story right. They futz with things endlessly. Well, I think also there is some ego wrapped up into it, especially a project like this, which after years and years and years of singing other people's songs, it, it was a big deal to me to sing my own. This is my first singer-songwriter album. And so my personality you know, who I am was also a big element in this. Not only were these song stories, but this was my story, you know, personally. So I think that had a lot to do with the extent to which, you know, I was willing to mix and remix and Mm -hmm. refine and hone. I've worked on some projects where uh, the artist, who is also the producer, really wants me to play a lot, like play lots of notes. Mm-hmm. To play more than I'm kind of comfortable doing, mm-hmm. like I would, so I would play it how I thought the part should go, and it was it was a lot sparser than what they wanted. I, I didn't think playing more was going to help tell the story, mm-hmm. but what they wanted was more. They just wanted more for the sake of more because because mm-hmm. look at him go, <laughs> right? Because they got Jim Henry, yeah. And I'm I'm not super comfortable with that. I mean, I'll do it if that's really what they want and they're paying me to do stuff. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'll do it. Deep down, I'm uncomfortable with that. I like to play less almost all the time. I, I really, I, I'm a big fan of, of the song and whatever I can do or not do to help tell the story is what I want to do. But everybody's got their own interpretation. Right. How it's supposed to go or what, you know, how they want the story to go. They're wrong, of course. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Listen to Jimmy. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So as an example of using production to help tell the story, Were You Ever Here is a a Mm. really good example. You wrote that or you've got the idea for that walking on a a beach. Yeah. 
how did you infuse that into the production? Well, this is actually one of those instances where Bob and I took a look at what we had and we realized there was a big thing that was going all throughout the song that we didn't need, and that was the drums. Like we were trying to figure out what what is wrong. The feeling of writing the song was a very lonely early morning walk on the beach. I was very sad. My relationship was falling apart. Again. Again. <laughs> another one. And I was trying to figure out what went wrong. I was meditating on this song, but I was contemplating the waves. And eventually I got a guitar lick for the song. And so we went into the studio and we produced it. But when we got all these things into the mix session, it felt like we had too much. It felt like the song was too big. Toward the end of the song, though, Lauren plays this beautiful drum roll that leads to the climax of the song. And when the drum roll finally comes in, it feels like the surf washing onto the beach. to not only amplify the emotion in that moment, but to actually recall where the song came from. It's, it's as beautiful as anything I've ever put together. And, and again, just a lovely way for the story to unfold something that happened in the mix. You know, it wouldn't mm-hmm. have, didn't even occur to us in the tracking session that there was too much. We only figured it out later. It's so much fun. I love mixing so much. Well, and I love mixing too, and it's all... It's it's primal, the whole storytelling thing. Part of why people love to listen to you and other great singers is your voice is soothing. It's like you're telling stories with your voice. <laughs> well, we've covered a lot of different aspects of this pro tip, I think. We have. I think we've told the story quite well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hopefully, well, well, hopefully it's helpful. You know, hopefully there's something that that people will take with them. You know, when they maybe they'll appreciate artists a little more for what they're trying to do up there. Well, and hopefully uh, other artists and, and producers don't feel like they're spinning their wheels in their minds thinking like this. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We're this is what's on our minds when right. we're when we're bringing the music to you. Well, it's you. all about listening, and it's all about telling the story. I mean, I don't know how else to put it. When people ask me, you know, or compliment me on my playing, I almost always say, "Well, I'm just telling the story." Right, right, right. Um, you know, it's not. That's almost not conscious. Well, what, I think we should play a song of some kind. Would you Would you like to do that? Sure, we can do that. How about um, you have a sort of an untitled instrumental song that we could do? Yes, I do. Would you like to do that one? Sure, we can do that one. That sounds great. <laughs> Let me grab a guitar. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm going to grab the mandolin. All right, let's go ahead. I'll, fo- I'll follow you. All right. <laughs> Here we go. All right. Mm-hmm. 
Thanks for listening to this edition of Pro Tips for Musicians, practical advice for an impractical business. To find out more about Tracy Grammer, visit her on the web at www.tracygrammer.com. She's also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. To find out more about the Pro Tips book, as well as past and future podcasts, visit www.jimhenry.net and click on the Pro Tips page. Your feedback is always welcome. Drop me a line at protips at jimhenry.net. Thanks for listening.